morning and welcome, and uh, we really do believe that. You belong here, so we're glad that you're here this morning. You picked a great Sunday to be here at Connecting Point because we're launching into a brand new series this morning that we're calling This Is Us. Uh, every year at the beginning of the year, I like to do some sort of uh, series kind of centered around vision, just kind of talk about you know who God has called us to be as a community of believers and what we believe he's called us to do as the people of God. And the reason why I think it's important to talk about this stuff on a regular basis, and the truth is we probably don't talk about it enough. But we need to talk about it on a regular basis because uh, I just agree with what Andy Stanley says. He says that when it comes to vision, vision leaks. In, in other words, you know, if we don't, if we don't uh, talk about it regularly, if we don't guard the vision that God has given to us, if we don't have language that helps kind of just keep the, the vision in front of us and relevant and, and active, then our, our natural tendency over time is to drift away from the vision. And, and when that happens, we can, you know, we can get busy just doing all kinds of stuff, uh, a lot of it, you know, even good stuff. But the problem is that even though we may be doing good stuff, we may not be doing God stuff. And, and uh, we, we got to be doing the stuff that God has invited us to do. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. This morning, we're going to kind of talk about vision, uh, generally speaking, and then we're going to dive into uh, our personal vision as a church and a community of believers. And uh, I'll just warn you up front that the things that we're going to be talking about, if you've been around here for a while, then a lot of it's not going to be new or groundbreaking stuff. In fact, uh, some of you may be tempted to think, you know, I, I think I maybe heard this stuff before. And I want to encourage you that if that begins to happen, to, to kind of stick with us, don't check out, because somebody once said that whatever is important bears repeating. And so we need to talk about it on a regular basis. And as a church, when it comes to what's important, I don't know that there's anything more important than us guarding the vision that God has given to us. In uh, Proverbs 29 the writer of Proverbs gives us what is, is probably the most famous passage in all of the Bible when it comes to vision. In fact, this particular verse, it's kind of the go-to verse where, you know, when pastor types like me, when we decide we're going to talk about vision, this is where we go. And uh, it, it says this, it says that where there is no vision, the people, what? Perish. Yeah, where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, the writer of Proverbs here, he's not necessarily talking about uh, perishing physically, although that, that certainly can happen. But what he's talking about for sure here is that where there's no vision, we perish spiritually, emotionally. The, the Hebrew word that is used here for vision is the word hazan. And, and it's a word that means, uh, it, it means to dream. It means to have revelation. It means to, to be able to visualize a God-given preferred future for your life, for a situation, for the world around you. Just this ability to, to visualize a God-given preferred future. And so what he's saying here is he's saying when we don't have the ability to receive a God-given revelation that shows us a preferred future for our lives, for a situation, for the world around us, 
then what will happen is, is we're just going to kind of flounder around. Just, just uh, you know, no direction, no purpose, no fulfillment. And, and the sad reality is that we live in a world full of people all around us who would fit that description. Just, just kind of, you know, no purpose. Just kind of floundering through life. No, no direction, just drifting through life. But, but what's most tragic is that, unfortunately, not only are there a lot of individuals who live their lives that way, but the truth is there are a lot of churches who would fit this description as well. No vision. You know, the only reason that we exist is so that we can be a place where people gather together for an hour or two a week, and, and so we can kind of, you know, check off our religious box and then uh, just go back to drifting through life, whatever life may be for us. And, and, and as, as many drifting people as there are, there are just as many drifting churches with no vision. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I'm just going to be honest with you. My life is way too valuable than for something like that. Um, you know, God, God's only given me one life, and he's only given me so much time, and, and I, I'm not going to waste it on doing nothing or doing things that, in the end, don't have any eternal significance. You know, can, can anybody feel me on that? Does anybody agree? A couple of you, good. Well, hopefully by the end, the rest of you will too. We don't want to waste our lives. In fact, if, if, you, if you take anything away from you today, I want you to take this away from you, is that you only get one life. You only get one life. And so you need to make it count. You only, you only have one opportunity and you need to make it count. In fact, I want you to think about this. There is only one day called today. Only one today. In all of history, you look back, in all of history, there's never been another day like today. And there will never be another day like this. And once today is gone, it's gone. And let me tell you, the older you get, the faster these days go. Man, they go fast. And, and so we need to make these days count Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, he says that we need to make the most of every single minute, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so here's the deal, if evil ain't going to sleep, then we don't want to be asleep on the job either. So, so how do we do that? How do we as a community of believers, just kind of receive and live out, not just a good vision for our lives, but a God vision that will impact and outlive us. I love the way that the message paraphrases that verse in, in Proverbs chapter 29, where there's no vision, the people perish. The message says it like this. If the people can't see what God is doing... now. Um, just so we're all, all on the same page, when we, when we talk about having spiritual vision, this is what we're talking about right here. 
In fact, this is a wonderful definition for spiritual vision. Spiritual vision, if you want to break it down to what it really is, to its bare minimum is, all spiritual vision is, is it's the ability to see what God is up to. That's what it is. Spiritual vision is simply the developing spiritual eyes, the, the ability to see. It's, a, it's having a, a spiritual sensitivity cultivated by spending time in the presence of Jesus, which, which helps us recognize once we spend time in the presence of Jesus, we get to know his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So we get to know his voice. We get to know his heart. And so we're spending time in the presence of Jesus. That begins to help us recognize where Jesus is at work in the world. That I see Jesus over here. He's doing something over here. He's at work over here. And this is what he's doing over here. In fact, I'm just 100% convinced that our entire job as a people of God is simply to be on the lookout for how God is at work around us. To just, just be looking and, and recognize where he's at work. And, and then when we receive that as our invitation, we see where he's at work and we receive that as our invitation to just jump in and partner with him and do that. In fact... Um, over the past couple of weeks, I just, I've been kind of drawn to a, a book that was written, I think, 30-plus years ago uh, by a guy named Henry Blackaby, and the book is called Experiencing God. I don't know if any of you read that book a number of years ago, but if you haven't read it, it's, it's worth it. I encourage you to do that. But one of the things that Blackaby talks about is that there are a couple of ways that um, you can approach following Jesus or serving Jesus. You, you can, first of all, you can, um, you know, do good things. You can create programs, if we're talking about a church, that do good things and uh, have good ideas. And then we can ask God, would you bless what we're doing? We're going to do this thing, and God, would you bless it? Or you can identify what God's already blessing and then just do that. And, and it's that second way that I believe that the writer of Proverbs, this is what he's talking about here when he says, if the people can't see what God is doing, we got to be able to see what God's doing. He says, if you can't see that, then the result is, he said, they stumble all over themselves. They drift. They, they, they just they, they don't know what to do. Doing all kinds of, of busy stuff, but not really living out God's vision for their life. He goes on to say, but when they attend to what he reveals, when they begin to see what God is doing, when they recognize, oh, God is up to something here, and then dive into that, then he says, they are most blessed. So, so um, let, let, me, let me just give you um, maybe a, an example of what this looks like. Um, here, here at the church, many of you guys are familiar with one of the great ministries that we have that we call our Second Chance Ministry. And the reason that we call it the Second Chance Ministry, we came up with that name, was because we just believe with all of our hearts that all of us, at some point in time in our lives, need a second chance. If you're, if you're like me, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chance, hundred chances. But, but second chance sounded way better than hundredth chance. So we came up with Second Chance Ministry. And, and there's many things that that ministry does, but one of the things that, that the ministry does is we have a number of people who are part of our church family 
who either have a history of incarceration or are currently incarcerated. And so we, we actually develop sponsors and we transport people here and we've seen God do incredible things through that ministry. I mean, it's just blown me away. We started this about five years ago and we have seen dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to know Jesus. We have baptized a number of folks that have come in as a result of this ministry. We have, um, we have seen folks who have gone through, especially those who are, are incarcerated and have been released, and we've helped uh, people get apartments and get furnished in apartments and help with jobs and get settled. We've got people who are serving in the life of the church, and God has just done incredible things through this ministry. In fact, uh, one of the things that happened just over the holidays was um, that there was a, a group of folks who uh, served two meals under the leadership of, of, of Melissa and Aaron Detterman and a Thanksgiving meal and a Christmas meal, I think served somewhere around 150 people uh, during both of those, for the, both of those meals, folks who otherwise wouldn't have a place to go. And uh, they called it the Misfits uh, Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner, and it was awesome. And Laura and I were there because we're, we're misfits, and so it was cool to be a part of that. But what was cool, aside from the, from the serving of the meals, was, um, which was important, but it was just to watch people get loved on and to have value assigned. And one cool story that came out of that was there, there was a guy who had been released from prison and all he had, it was cold out and all he had was a prison coat. And there was another guy who recognized that he was kind of embarrassed because that's all he had. So the guy took off the only coat he had and gave it to that guy. And come on. <laughs> Is there anything more Jesus than that? You here? Oh, that's awesome. I wasn't even going to tell this story today. God just told me to tell it. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's, thank you. Man, there ain't nothing more Jesus than that. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was cold, you invited me and you were in prison. And you visited me. And so there's all these cool things that are taking place in that ministry. Laura and I were reflecting this past uh, week about, we, uh, we celebrated seven years as your pastors here. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. Nobody got us a cake or anything, but <laughs> Laura wouldn't let me eat it anyway because, Yeah. <laughs> No, but we were kind of reflecting back on the last seven years and uh, specifically about this ministry because here's the deal, and I know, you know, pastors aren't supposed to play favorites when it comes to people or ministries or anything like this, but when it comes to this ministry, I just can't help it. Um, it's my favorite, it's, it's one of the most incredible ministries that I've ever been able to be involved with in my entire life, and it's near and dear to my heart, and we just love being a part of it, and we were thinking back on it, on how the ministry started. Let me, let me tell you how that ministry did not start. It didn't start with us, you know, all of a sudden, me coming up with this great idea. Um, it didn't start with me sitting down with the staff and saying, hey, guys, you know, I've been thinking about it, and I've got this great idea. We ought to do prison ministry. That would be awesome. Let's do that. And then as a staff, we gathered together and said, yeah, let's do that. And so we prayed and said, hey, God, we think we ought to do that. Would you bless this, and let's just do it. That's not how this started. 
How it started was five years ago, um, I was in Kearney for some pastoral meetings, and one of my colleagues there who pastors a church in Kozad, I don't know if Ben and Jamie Sucra are here, but it's Ben's mother, uh, uh, Susan, and after the meeting was over, I was getting ready to leave, and she grabbed me before I left and said, hey, I want to talk to you for a second. She said, hey, there's a, a lady who um, she grew up in our church here in Kozad. Her grandmother still attends the church. And, um, you know, she's had some difficulty in life, made some poor choices, and she's incarcerated, and she really wants to turn her life around. And she's asked if she could go to your church. Would you, would you be okay with that? And my immediate response, first of all, was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know we could do it. But my second response was, absolutely. Oh, man, yeah, of course. And so we wound up getting her information. She contacted the church, and there were two other ladies that wanted to come with her. And so that, that very, we, didn't, we didn't know there was a process or anything. Now we know a lot more than we do back then. But back then, uh, we, we, we knew that we had to get approval from the facility. And so I wrote a letter to the warden and said, hey, there's these ladies that would like to come to our church. We'd love to have them come to our church. Would that be okay? And he responded back, sure. And so the very next Sunday, Laura and I went and picked them up, and we pulled in, and they were standing in the lobby, so we said, come on, go with us. So they got in the van, we came here to the church, went to church, and we went to take them home or back, and, and uh, afterwards we found out that they were missing lunch because they had chose to come here. We said, we can't have that, so let's go to lunch. And so we took them to lunch, and then we went back, dropped them off at the facility, and uh, the next day I got a phone call from the warden, and he said, hey, we got a little problem here. Um, he said, you picked some ladies up the other day, and he said, are you, uh, are you and Laura sponsors? I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, well, you, you got to go through, there's a class you got to go through, and we got to do background checks, you got to be a sponsor to pick them up. I said, no, nah, we didn't know we were supposed to be sponsors, and he said, and uh, you know, you, you can't, if they got a pass, they got to go where the pass says, you can't like be running all over town doing lunch and all that kind of stuff, and so we had this huge learning curve. But, but out of that, that moment, we just knew God was up to something. And we've seen all of these things beginning to transpire. And I sat in a meeting this last week. I don't think I'm supposed to talk about this meeting yet, but oh well. <laughs> you know, one of the things I asked you guys to pray about and fast about back in July or June or July when I went on sabbatical, one of the things was God's laid on our hearts the needs for transitional housing. And so um, well, that's one of the things that as a board, leadership team, we've been talking about and praying about. And so we, we had a, a, we've got a committee that we formulated. The committee keeps growing and growing and growing, which is awesome because there's lots of people who are interested in this ministry. But we, we had a meeting, and in that meeting was a combination of folks who just have a heart for the Second Chance ministry, and there's folks who have come through it. And I got to sit there and I listened to those who have come through it, talk about how God has been at work in their lives through this ministry, through the life of the church. And I didn't cry. I did too cry. I cried a little bit. But I was just reminded, God, this was, in fact, somebody said it in the meeting, this was none of our ideas. This was God's idea. We just saw it. We saw that God was up to something. I'm telling you, he's up to something. I'm not going to share much more than that. Pray, pray, pray over the next steps. God's got some big, big, big things. And so, okay, I'll share one more thing. 
I'm, I'm looking at Aaron because if he beats me up after this, you guys are witnesses to, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this or not, but uh, Aaron and Melissa have a real heart for this, and, and uh, you know, we're talking about transitional housing, so the questions are, how are you going to pay for it? What kind of program is it going to be? Where, what's the housing going to look like? All those things, and of course, the big one is, how are you going to pay for it? And uh, we, we, we've had somebody contact them and say already that uh, $200,000, am I right, that they're willing to kind of throw towards something like that? What's that? Oh, four to six hundred thousand? Two people. Thank Brad's my interpreter. You know I can't hear. Two people, four to six. Hundred thousand? That's more than I knew. See, that's what happens when God does something versus when we try to do good things and ask him to bless what we do. That's an example of that. All right. Brad said last week, when Brad pre- didn't Brad do a good job last week when he preached? Yeah. There was a point in time where he said, this is a terrible transition, so I think I'm at that point right here because I, I hadn't planned on sharing that story. But um, Okay, where am I at here? <laughs> Woo, I got all excited. I just keep, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> let, let's, let's, let's kind of switch gears and let's bring this home a little bit. When we talk about the church and vision... If I, if I were to define what I believe the church is supposed to be, I think there's all kinds of definitions that you could give to it. Um, but this one, I, I believe, fits. When we talk about the church, the church could be defined simply as a, a group of people collectively living out who God has called them to be, compelled and empowered by a spirit to then go and do whatever it is that he called them to do. Now, there, there, there certainly are way more definitions and other things that we could throw into the mix that define the church, but the reason I want to focus on this definition is because there, there are really two components that I believe are important and pertinent to what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks and what we're talking about this morning, and, and I believe that these two things have to exist in the church if the church is really going to be who God has called them to be. If we, if we want to uh, be a church of vision and not just uh, wander around or drift around aimlessly, and the two things are this, these two things. It's important that we understand who we're called to be, so being, and what we're called to do, doing. Those two things are important, being and doing. And, and they're both equally important. Both have to exist in order for the church to genuinely be all that God designed us to be. So you could say it like this is that the result of being an authentic follower of Jesus is this, active participation in the building of the kingdom of God. That the result of being is always doing something. That's the evidence of being a part of the kingdom is it's always revealed through our willing participation to be used by God in the building of his kingdom. We've got to understand this. Being always results 
in doing because we do what we are. So, for instance, if I'm a kind person, then the, the response to that, I'm, I'm naturally going to do acts of kindness, right? If I'm a compassionate person, I'm going to do acts of compassion. And, and if I'm a person of faith, then that means I'm going to do acts of faith. James says it like this in James chapter 2. He says that faith without works is dead. In other words, if there isn't some sort of doing or action that follows the being, then there ain't no being. If there ain't doing, there really ain't being. Now, now let me make this clear. Our doing is not what makes us part of the kingdom of God. The Bible's very clear that we're not saved by our own works, that we are saved 100% by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by anything that we can do. We're saved by what Jesus has already done for us. And so it's not our works that save us, but it's actually the exact opposite. You see, in salvation, we not only receive God's generous forgiveness of our sins, but we're also invited into God's plan. We're invited by God to participate in his redemptive plan for the world. In other words, when we're saved, we're not just saved from something, which is oftentimes what we focus on, but we're also saved to something. We're not just saved from our sins and the consequences of sin, but we're saved to a brand new life. We're saved to a brand new purpose. We're saved to a brand new reason for being. Think about this. If you're here this morning, if you're joining us online, and you are a follower of Jesus, God has actually invited you, personally, you, to be a part of accomplishing his mission in the world. That, that ought to make us a lot more excited than we are right now. God chose you. To join him in proclaiming the good news, in, 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 in healing up the brokenhearted, in setting captives free. That's what Jesus said his mission was. Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news, to, to uh, pro proclaim freedom for captives, to bind up the brokenhearted. And he's invited you to be a part of him doing that. Man, if we could just wrap our brains around that and get that. This is why over and over and over again in Scripture, when you see once somebody genuinely encountered Jesus, their first response was not, oh man, I can't wait till Sunday so I can sit in a church service and listen to some guy plead with me about, no. Their first response is to find somebody else, tell them what Jesus had done, and introduce them to Jesus. you got to come see this guy. you got to come experience what I've experienced. So I'm convinced that part of the evidence of what God has done in us is how we allow him to use us. Now, now we also need to remember this, that our doing will never have the impact it's intended to have if it isn't birthed out of what God has already done in us. In other words, you know, you, you can't give away what you haven't already received. 
And, and there are lots of people who try. And there are lots of good people who, who try to do good things. And there are lots of good organizations who do wonderful things. But here's the bottom line. All of them fall short if God is left out of the picture. You see, the point is, everything rises and falls on our ability to see what God is doing, to see where he's working, and then by his grace, committing ourselves to partner with him in doing whatever he's doing. That's what, according to the writer of Proverbs, that's what produces the greatest blessing. Okay, so how does all of this apply to us and the vision that we believe God has given Connecting Point as a church? Many of you remember five years, it's interesting that all this was five years ago, but five years ago, collectively, we kind of began to wrestle with this question. I'll never forget the very first leadership team meeting I ever attended or I ever had here. I mean, it was the shortest meeting in the history of church meetings. I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, They said, you know, fake it till you make it. And so we had this meeting, and somewhere in the course of the meeting, I can't remember who it was, asked me this question around vision, said, Pastor, what's your vision for the church? What's your vision for what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Who are we going to be? What's your vision for the church? And I have no idea, Brian, how I answer that question. Uh, all, I, all I know was inside, I was like, I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea. I, I knew how God had wired me. I knew the passions and the talents and the abilities that he had given to me, but I had no idea at that time how that fit in with all of us. Well, a couple years later, we just really began to, to wrestle with that question. And, and the way that we did that is um, what we did was we, we went and we just asked a simple question. Some of you guys remember this. We're trying to sort through what, what is God calling us to be? Who is God calling us to be? What is he calling us to do? What is unique about us as Connecting Point Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska, in the midst of a bunch of other churches, and, and then out of who we are, who he's called us to be, what's he calling us to do? And, and so we, we went through this process, and we, we, we just simply, we had a bunch of conversations with a bunch of different groups of people. We, we of course, started with the church staff and the leadership team and we met with Sunday school classes and ministry teams and and we asked this one question and the question was this what kind of church do you believe that God wants connecting point to be in 10 years 10 years from now what kind of church do you believe God wants connecting point to be and we structured the question that way on purpose because first of all we didn't care what you wanted Didn't care what I wanted. The question was, what kind of church does God want? See, see, the problem why so many churches are floundering around with no vision and dying is because they've been totally, they've become totally centered on people's personal preferences. Doesn't matter what I want. Doesn't matter what you want. What matters is what God wants. That's what's going to bring the greatest blessing. And so we, we said, what kind of church do you think God wants us to be, not in, t- not in 50 years, you know, way out there where, you know, it's just way out in the future, because who knows if we're even going to be around at that time, but, but, but in 10 years, you know, not next month, because once, we, once we're given who God wants us to be, we've got to have time to begin to develop that and mature into it and, and do all that kind of stuff. And so we asked that question, what kind of church does God want us to be in 10 years? And then we just took a whiteboard and we wrote down everything that you guys said. We believe that God wants us to be this. We believe that God wants us to be that. And we just wrote it down. And, and, and then we, we took all of those. Actually, uh, on the heels of that, the pastoral staff at the time 
We did what all spiritual people do when they want to encounter God. We went to the mountains. And uh, actually, it wasn't like a super spiritual. It was uh, Laura's parents own a house in the mountains, and it was free. So we went to where it was free, and it just happened to be in the mountains. We had a great time away on this spiritual retreat. And as a staff, we spent time together uh, worshiping and we spent time praying, and we spent time dreaming, and one of the things that we did was we took all of the answers that were given. This is who we believe God wants us to be as a church in 10 years, and we laid them out on this big board. And what we discovered was that in every single conversation, without exception, there were four themes that continually emerged time after time after time. And what every group said is that, first of all, we believe that God wants us to be a church where people feel like they belong. That we believe that God wants us to be a place where no matter who you are, where you come from, that the moment you walk in, you feel like, you just feel welcome. You feel like, I'm home. This is home. I belong here. The second theme was, you said that we believe that God wants us to be a church where people can get connected. Not only with God, but with each other, where we can build genuine relationships, where we we do all of the one another things, where we care for one another and love one another and bear one another's burdens and all of the one another's that the Bible talks about. And then third, you said that we believe that God wants us to be a church where we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. We want to get to know him more and become stronger and more mature in our faith. And then lastly, you said that we, we believe that God wants us to be a place where we can serve, where we can take our, our unique passions and abilities and talents and, and we can leverage them and we can serve towards building the kingdom of God. And so it became very clear to us that God just seemed to be speaking to us coll- collectively that this is my vision for you as a community of faith, for you as a people of Connecting Point. I want you to be a church where everyone belongs and can genuinely connect, grow, and serve Jesus and each other. And so that's the vision that God's given to us. And that's actually become our vision statement, just in case you didn't know that. So that was five years ago. And the question is, where are we now? How, how are we doing with that? Are, are, are we really that? Are we that kind of a church? I, w- I would say in some ways, yes. In fact, I'm, I'm com- I can confidently say that I think we're way more that kind of a church now than we were back in 2017. Uh, we've still got a lot of room to grow. We certainly haven't arrived yet. Some things we do pretty well. And there are others that we've got a ton of work to do on. But, but this is the vision. This is who we believe God wants us to be. Now, the reason this is so important is because, remember, what we do will always be birthed out of who we are. Our doing is birthed out of our being. And then, secondly, it's based on once we know who we are and we begin to recognize, oh, this is where God's moving. This is what he's doing. We can jump in and partner with him in this. Now, I want to I talk to you just, we've got a, a few minutes left, and I want to spend that time talking about that first value. One of the things that I believe with all of my heart is that God wants us to continue to cultivate and grow a culture of belonging. I shared this quote with you before, but I heard it a number of years ago, and it stuck with me. And this is a quote that was given by uh, Robin Williams, if you all remember him. He was a great comedian and actor that tragically took his life back in 2014. But, But Robin Williams once said this. He said, some people say 
that the worst thing in the world is to be alone, but the worst thing in the world is actually to be with people who make you feel like you're alone. Man, isn't that the truth? That, that is so spot on. All of us have experienced situations where we've been in the midst of a group of people, yet it was very clear, you are not a part of our group. And, and as tragic as that is, because it happens everywhere, it is doubly tragic when it happens in the church, which unfortunately happens all the time. Every Sunday, there, there are hurting people who are searching for answers and searching for some kind of hope, searching for healing, searching for belonging, who, who walk through the doors of churches just like this one, only to be reminded, you are not a part of this group. Churches are notorious for having insiders and outsiders, us and them. I'm just being real. And unfortunately, in, in many churches, the unwritten rule, and the reason why there's insiders and outsiders, is because the rule is this. Listen, if you behave like us and believe like us, then you can belong to us. Which, first of all, is insane. It's just crazy thinking. In fact, I'll never understand why Christian people get off expecting non-Christians to act like they're Christians. Why do we expect that? I mean, I mean, before you were, think back, before you were a Christian, those of you who are Christians, did you act like you were a Christian? No, I didn't. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say this, we'd be doing a good job if we could just get the Christians to act like they're Christians. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, how about we quit focusing on acting? How about we start focusing on being? If we just would be what Jesus called us to be, then we don't have to act anything. We just are. But, but, but secondly, not only is that insane thinking, it is 100% backwards from the way that Jesus operated. Jesus was never, hey, you know what, if you guys believe like us and, and, and you behave like us and, and then you can belong to us. No, Jesus was simply this. Come follow me. Just, just, just come hang out with me. Come begin a relationship with me. You belong to this group regardless of what you believe and how you behave. And Jesus was like, you know, once you begin to follow me and you begin to see who I am and what I'm about, hopefully you'll begin to believe. Maybe he really does love me. Maybe I really do have, have uh, he ha really does have my best interest in mind. Maybe there really is something to this God thing, this kingdom thing. And then once you begin to believe, it will automatically begin to be act or, uh, impact the way you behave. We do what we are. We do what we believe. You see, the progression is not supposed to be behave, believe, belong. It's meant to be belong first, love people first, serve people first, invite people into your community first, and then all of the other pieces will fall in place. Or not. The, the truth is that not everybody who started following Jesus kept following Jesus. 
In fact, some of them quit following him because they found out, oh, this is going to cost me something. There's some things I'm going to have to give up. There's some things I'm going to have to let go of, and it's going to cost me. And so they quit. But that certainly didn't keep Jesus from inviting people. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that's found in Luke chapter 15. I think this describes what a a culture of belonging will do. Luke chapter 15, one. I love this passage. It says, now, the tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors were like a special class of sinners. But the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And, and I love this passage of Scripture for a number of different reasons, but one of them is, I don't know if you notice this or not, but these sinners were gathered around Jesus. In, in other words, they weren't forced to be around Jesus. They weren't coerced to being around Jesus. They won't, weren't corralled to be around Jesus. They voluntarily, on purpose, wanted to gather around him. They wanted to be with him. They were, they were you could say it like this, they were drawn to Jesus. Can, can I tell you who they weren't drawn to? They, they weren't drawn to the Pharisees. They, they weren't drawn to the, like, the super religious elite folks. In fact, look at verse 2. It says that while these sinners and tax collectors were all gathered around Jesus, it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They complained, they were griping, they were whispering, they were pointing fingers. They were like, what in the world is Jesus doing hanging out with people like that? He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Huh. I wonder why they weren't drawn to the Pharisees. (laughs) I wonder why they didn't gather around the religious elite. The, The answer is because none of us would be drawn to them. I mean, how could anybody be drawn to a people who their their whole existence was, we're going to seclude ourselves behind these huge temple walls because we're so holy and the rest of the world is so evil. We're going to seclude ourselves. We're going to build these walls of of religious rules and and, and ideals and all these things. And we're going to build these walls so high that nobody could ever climb them if they ever even wanted to. Nobody would be drawn to that. But they were drawn to Jesus. Why? Because when when Jesus ate with tax collectors, they experienced a level of acceptance that they had never, ever received from any religious person before. All they experienced before from the religious people were judgment and rejection. But with Jesus, they experienced gracious acceptance all the time knowing that Jesus was inviting them to repentance Jesus made no secret of that he said in front of him he said I have come to call sinners to repentance but but they felt this gracious acceptance and so they were drawn to Jesus and and so I want to I want to just pose this question to us as the church what would it take for people to be drawn to Christ in us. What, what, what would it take for people to be drawn to Christ in you? What would it take for, for people who are far from God to be drawn to Christ 
in us. Well, I'm going to give you three things, and then I want you to kind of wrestle with this and, and just take it with you. And, but, but, but real quick, three things. The first one is I think it would take what we already talked about and what Jesus did. It would take for us to graciously accept people right where they are. Not, not the, you know, we'll accept you a little more if you just get your life straightened out. No, people inside the church, outside the church, just graciously accept people wherever they're at on their journey. Well, I'm afraid if I accept them and I don't point out all the things that they're doing wrong and that I don't agree with, then, 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 then they're going to think that I approve of their lifestyle, their behavior. Listen, I, I don't know how we ever got to this thinking that accepting and loving people are the same as approving of lifestyle choices. They're not the same thing. And this, for some reason, this is hard for some people to wrap their heads around, but, but, but I, I, think about, okay, I know it's going to be hard to believe, but Laura does not approve of everything that I do. Believe that? Is that? I know, it's hard to believe. Can you believe that? Some of you are like, oh, I, can't, I never would imagine that. For instance, if you guys know my wife, she's not here today. She, uh, she took off our, our grandson. She went to go spend some time with him. He's got a basketball tournament in Council Grove, and so she went to hang out with him. But um, if you know Laura, one of the things you know about her is she loves, I mean, absolutely loves animals. I love to hunt them. <laughs> a couple of months ago, um, it was deer season, and I'd gone hunting. I shot a deer. And I came home and I, I did what hunters do is, you know, you got to hang the deer for a while and let it age. And so uh, I hung this deer in our garage. And um, Laura didn't know that I was doing She knew I'd gone hunting. She didn't know I got a deer. She certainly didn't know I hung it in a garage. And so um, I wasn't home. I was, I was here at the church. And Laura got home and she opened the garage door. And much to her surprise, there hanging in our garage was Kyle. Uh, I named my deer, uh, but Kyle was hanging there like all field-dressed and spread out in all of his glory, and, um, and I was here at the church, and all of a sudden, I got this phone call, and the message was very clear. This is not something that she approved of, <laughs> but not once did I even go to the place that she doesn't love me. Not, not once did I go to the place where she doesn't accept me. See, we, we need to graciously love and accept people whose behavior we don't agree with. I don't agree with all your behavior. You probably don't agree with all of mine, but can we love each other? Re remember, it's belong, believe, behave. We need to graciously accept people right where they are. Number two, we, we need to build trust that we're a safe person. What, what do I mean by that? How do you build trust as a safe person? Well, it takes investment into the relationship. It, it, takes, it takes time. It, it, it takes, it, it takes the, the time and investment of, of valuing an individual as a person and not looking at them as a project to help our church grow. People are not projects. 
People are not something that we can check off our list and say, okay, I did this religious thing. I had a religious conversation. I did this spiritual thing. I, I, I got them to pray the prayer, and now I'm going to get a star in my crown. And the, I got this. Pro-. People are not projects. Pe- people are people that are meant to be valued. People are, are individuals who God created and formed and put together. And so it's not about you know, accomplishing something for us. It's simply about genuinely loving and investing in individuals for the sake of the individual. Number three, last one, is we need to patiently look for opportunities to share God's love. The key word here is a word that all of us hate. Patiently. (laughs) Again, I can't drive this home enough. The, The key is having the patience to watch and wait and see where God is already working and then just jumping in and doing that. See, see, we believe in the grace of God, and part of the grace of God is there's something called prevenient grace. It's the grace that goes before. It's the activity of God in our lives before we ever even know that he's doing anything in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit working in the situation and circumstances of an individual that are drawing them to an openness to to, to maybe explore faith and check out a God thing if it's never been on their radar before. And so we need to to patiently look for opportunities to share God's love. And it it can look like so many different things. Patiently waiting for opportunities to share his love, it might be Simply providing a meal for somebody who's hungry. Might, might be taking your coat and giving it to somebody who needs a coat. It, it might be sacrificing what you want to help provide the finances to be able to facilitate transitional housing for people who need a, a, a step up, a boost up. It might be giving somebody a ride to a job interview or becoming a sponsor and driving a van out to the correctional center to pick people up. It might be uh, making a meal on Sunday so that we can feed folks before we send them back. It might be listening to somebody pour out their heart about how they're hurting. It might be sharing your own hurts, your own imperfections, your own past experiences and and how the, the times where you've questioned God and the times how God has helped you. All I know is this. It is God's vision for us to be a place where people genuinely feel like, regardless of where they are in their journey, that, that when they walk through the doors of this building, there is a sense of welcoming, of gracious acceptance, and belonging, I feel like I belong here. I'm not an outsider. That, that's, and that, 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 that whole you belong here thing, Brian, you can come help me, but that whole you belong here thing, it needs to be more than a cute slogan that we throw up on the wall. It, it needs to be the reality of, hey, there really is a place here for me. I really do belong here. Because come on. Isn't that what Jesus has done for each one of us? The only reason we're here is because Jesus opened his arms and he said, hey, 
I see your faults. I see your failures. I see all the ways that you haven't measured up. I know all the ways that you've blown it. But you belong here with me in my family. And, and if that's the way Jesus operated, then, then, then how about we just do that? How about we just be like Jesus? Father, this morning as we wrap up our time together, and we've covered a lot of different things and just kind of been all over the place, I just believe, Holy Spirit, that you have spoke what you wanted to speak to each of our hearts in the way that you want to speak it. We, we want to be a people of vision. We, we want this church to, to be a place where people feel welcomed and where they genuinely encounter you. We don't want to waste our lives spending every Sunday morning sitting in a chair, singing a few songs, listen to some guy talk for a while and then just life go on as usual Lord, you've invited us to so much more than that. You've invited us to actually be a part of your mission. And, and it's not because you need us. It's because you love us so much. That you're like, just hey, come do this with me. And God, I pray that you'd help us to, to never reject your invitation, to just come alongside of you. Help us to develop spiritual eyes and a sensitivity that uh, not just as a, a corporate body, but as individuals when we're at work and in our neighborhoods and we're encountering people in Walmart and, and, and wherever we are, that we'd have spiritual eyes to be able to say, I think you're at work doing something here. And then just ask you, how do you want me to partner with you in this? What, do you, what, what, do you, what part do you want me to play? What role do you want me to play? We need to do that more often. Help us to love people the way that you loved us and the way that you love us. And so, Lord, we're just going to ask you this boldly and believe that you'll help us even as we leave this place and we go throughout our week just to be the kind of people that you want us to be. And we're going to pray all of these things in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. We thank you in your name. Amen.